The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Um, you know, something about music, I don't know about you guys, but uh, there are some of us that just seem to love music uh, a little extra. Does anybody like love music a little extra? They've got a special place uh, in your heart for music. Yeah, um, at a very young age, I would um, go downstairs in my room and put on my brother's headphones and just listen for hours. And I was just little, and my parents thought, what is wrong with this kid? Uh, I, would, I just loved music. I would hear all these sounds, and, and I was just enamored with it. And uh, um, my kids wanted to go see a movie uh, a little while back, and uh, I went to go see it with them. It was a Marvel movie called Guardians of the Galaxy. And when I went with them to the movie, just to accompany, make sure everything's okay with the movie, all of a sudden a soundtrack came on, and the soundtrack blew me away because it was all the songs that I was raised with, and it was in their movie. And something about hearing songs from long ago brings up these feelings in our life. It brings up memories. It evokes these emotions in our life because uh, they point to a time in our life, maybe when we were younger, or certain kind of feelings. And uh, today, uh, we're, we're going through the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, and Jesus is presenting us with a theme. And I thought about this theme because there is a famous song that was recorded that also resonates completely with this theme. And it's a song that some of you may know or may not know. It's a song called People Get Ready. Has anybody ever heard of People Get Ready? People Get Ready, it's about a train that's coming. And the thing about this song is, uh, according to American Songwriter uh, magazine, it said one of the, most, one of the best popular songs ever written uh, is People Get Ready. It was covered by many famous artists, and it was originally recorded in 1965 by Curtis Mayfield, encouraging people to get ready to board a train uh, for the Christian afterlife. And so he was singing, and it went something like this, and I will hack it because I am no Curtis Mayfield, so I'm just going to take a pass right now. But it goes something like this. It goes, people get ready. There's a train a-coming. You don't need no ticket. You just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the diesel humming. You don't need no ticket. You just thank the Lord. You guys heard that? That's a good one, right? Many people have done it. Rod Stewart, Jeff Beck, all kinds of people added things to it. But this song is people get ready. And it's basically talking about the ticket. It's a priceless ticket. You would never be able to afford it. And that's okay because it's absolutely free. You just receive it by faith. And if you receive this ticket by faith, you have the ticket to get on this train. And the train is coming. And Jesus is going to say today, the train is coming. Jesus is saying, people get ready. A train is coming. And and we're going to see how he rolls this out. But we've been going through this gospel uh, gospel of Matthew, and we've been camped out in uh, chapter 24, where Jesus talks a lot about the future things to come. The disciples say, Lord, will you tell us what's to come? When are you coming back? How will we know? What will it look like? And Jesus has been laying that out over the last three weeks. Uh, If you're interested in that topic more, which we all should be, um, there's three videos online, Return of the King, part one, two, and three, and you will get the full layout of what sort of details are going to happen. Also, Tom is leading an amazing Sunday night group going through the uh, uh, book of Daniel, and they're looking at a lot of these end time elements that are paralleling what they're teaching, and you'll get a lot of the nuances and the details of what sort of things the Bible says prophetically uh, will be uh, the end times. 
Uh, but the thing is, um, the Bible gives a couple of things to say about this train that's coming. The Bible, instead of a train pulling up to a station, as many of you have experienced in your life, um, it's literally in, in the Bible referred to as the rapture, where Jesus is coming back like a train to take those he loves and to uh, really rescue us from what is to come, but to deliver us into an eternity that is insanely awesome. And uh, no eye has seen, ear has heard, or hearts ever imagined what God has in store for those who love him. So it's going to be monumental. It's going to be epic. But a train is coming, and, and it's referred to in the Bible as the rapture that we don't want to miss. I just want to give a couple of summaries before we jump in. If you guys have your Bible, you can turn there, Matthew chapter 24. We're going to be picking up where we left off. Uh, but a couple of signs really quickly, just to bring you up to speed if you, if you missed the last couple of weeks. These will be signs of the end. Uh, the disciples asked Jesus, what will they be? And to cover them really quick, brief summary, uh, there'll be earthquakes and wars, and there will be an intense persecution of Christ followers, not just people that have any kind of faith, specifically Jesus. There's gonna, Jesus said it's going to be a direct re- uh, assault against him and those who follow him. It's anti-Christ in its nature. And uh, there will be a season of false peace. The Bible presents this uh, time of a new world order or a one world government. And it will seem like it's a good answer, a good solution to a lot of things in our world. It might appear that way, but a little bit later, people are going to see, oh, that's not really what this is. So it's essentially a false uh, peace. Uh, One of the things the Bible says will be a sign is that uh, this gospel, this gospel will reach the end of the world and then the end will come. So the gospel, the good news of Jesus, will actually make it to all people groups around the planet. The good news now, we already have the gospel in 3,300 printed languages for all kinds of tribe, tongues, and nations, and there's more to come. It's growing exponentially, so we're seeing the fulfillment of that uh, even now. Uh, Another thing it says, this is a critical one, that Israel uh, will rebuild its temple, the temple for sacrifice, Hasn't been there since 70 AD. It's 2,000 years, essentially, that there hasn't been any worship in Israel or any sacrifice. It will be rebuilt, and three and a half years into that, that the Antichrist is going to reveal himself and try to direct worship towards himself, and everyone's going to be shocked and stunned. That, the Bible says, is an absolute tipping point of life as we know it on planet Earth. That will be the tipping point. Everyone say tipping point. Because there's difficult times, difficult times, and the church has never been exempt from trials, tribulations, and difficult times, but tipping point is tipping point, and Jesus says this will be a tipping point. That's when he says people get ready, a train is coming, and it's going to come at this tipping point. Um, So uh, last time, uh, just a couple of quick things to hold on to. Uh, Again, this topic is one when we talk about these things. uh, Some get a little anxious. There's some anxiety like, oh no, I don't know if I want to hear this. Uh, Others like, Awesome, tell me more signs and symbols. I love this stuff. Um, But the point is, uh, the Bible says we won't know the day or the hour. Nobody will. So anybody who prophesies the day and the hour, as has been done in the past falsely, there's been false prophets telling people the day and the hour. And the Bible says they never will be able to know it. So anybody predicting a day and an hour is simply a false prophet. According to the Bible, no one knows the day or the hour. But listen, we don't know that but we do get to discern the signs and the seasons. Everyone say signs and seasons. There will be signs. There will be seasons. The Bible lays them out. We'll get to see them as believers in Scripture and go, oh, I think that's what that's talking about. And and we're going to get to discern signs and seasons, but not 
days or hour. Um, and the other thing the Bible says is everything is going to pass away except for God's word. Everything is going to go away but this. Again, this is like this holy boomerang. God breathed it. God spoke it. God wrote it. Uh, and it's going to go out like a boomerang. It's going to accomplish all God intended it to do for all generations. And it will return to him. And it will not return void. It's going to accomplish everything he wanted it to do. So the amazing thing is this will go out and it will come back. And so everything else that we know of, everything, cars, buildings, you know, trees, everything is going to return void. Everything has an expiration date, even though this seems like everything to us. This is just a temporary assignment. This is just a test. This is just a trial. We weren't made for this. We were made for that. And so that's important to say because this is written for our certainty And this is something that we should all get very familiar with. I will tell you, we're living in times where the more familiar you are with this, the more certainty you will have. The more familiar you are with this, the more certainty you will have. Because as things change and as things come up, you'll go, yep, I already read that. I I already expect that. Uh, Nothing will take you by surprise. It won't be a a curveball. It won't be a shock. And Scripture says that these things are about the future, Thessalonians says, are written so that you and I can have assurance, that we can have no anxiety, that we can have peace in these times, that we can be very settled in our hearts regarding the things that are to come, not to cause any kind of anxiety. Um, However, when the strain comes, non-believers are going to be very shocked because the Bible also says it will be like the times of Noah where everyone's going to be just rejecting God, going about their own stuff, and guess what? A train's going to pull up. It's going to be the rapture, and it's going to be, oh my goodness, what's going on? And everyone's going to be off rejecting God their whole life, and then all of a sudden there's this moment where some are going to go, oh no. And that's when the Bible says the world tipping point is going to happen. Things are going to get really crazy difficult on this planet because what we see is it goes from a time of difficulty and tribulation to actually a time of God beginning to pour out judgment and wrath. And God's people are not subject to God's wrath. That's the beauty. We are not subject. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the church will be taken out, and then the Bible starts referring to what God is going to pour out. And if you and I are in Christ, we will not be here for that. But people are going to be very shocked as the Bible lays this, this timeline out. So here's the thing. We need to be ready, but listen, it's not just you and I being ready. It's not just you and I being ready. It's about you and I helping others get ready. It's not just about you and I getting ready. And if there's one thing you take home from this, I hope it's that it's about you and I helping others get ready. Imagine this. You're in a building. You wake up. You smell smoke. You open the door. You see there's a fire down the hall. Do you leave the building quietly? Do you? Do you leave the building alone? No. You knock on as many doors and yell as loud as you can because you're not getting the safety alone. I hope you're not. I hope you're pounding on every door going, wake up, wake up, get out. I hope you're bringing everyone you can with you and not just going, oh, leave quietly, elevator. I don't want to wake them up. I'll be the only one in the elevator. No, you get everyone up you can and you get everyone out of the building you can. I hope so. Uh, Christy and I had the opportunity to go to Maui last week uh, as an early celebration for our 20th anniversary. It's super cool to get out there. Um, I think that's the closest thing to Eden that we have. Amen. 
probably the closest thing to Garden of Eden we have. Uh, but all that to say is, um, down there, I noticed down at the beach, it looked like these cell towers, cell phone towers, but they were just weird-looking shapes. And I asked one of the locals, because I saw them at a lot of the beaches, and I said, what's up with these, um, these towers? And he goes, oh, that is, uh, that's not a cell tower. That's our tsunami warning system. And he goes, in fact, we have the best tsunami warning system in the, in the world right here in, in Hawaii. And I'm looking at these things. I'm like, that's really epic because it can look way, way out in the ocean. It can detect anything. And it could uh, alarm people and let them know. But I want to ask you this. If you knew a tsunami was coming, would you go to high ground alone or would you take as many people with you that you could? Which one? Alone? How many would go alone? You would take as many people with you as you could. I hope you would, and I hope you wouldn't be quiet. If a if tsunami was coming, you would get to high ground with as many people as you could. And here's my prayer, family, is that we, we will go to heaven the same way, that we won't say, I'm going to high ground alone. I'm going to high ground alone. I, I, they're not listening. I'm not going to even yell or say anything. I'm just, just going to go to high ground alone. No, I hope not. I hope our burden is the same way of getting out of a building or getting away from a tsunami. There is a time coming. It's not to freak anybody out, but listen, the Bible's been telling us this for thousands of years, even in the Old Testament, that we're under this radical season of grace, but there will be a day coming. And when that day comes, God is going to uh, bring a conclusion to things as we know it. God is a loving God, but he's also a just God. And, and there's going to be a, a time of judgment. We wish there wasn't. We're like, why can't it be this? Or why can't it be that? Because uh, God disciplines those he loves. And he has to be a disciplining and loving God if he's a, uh, a just God. And so uh, the, the bottom line is this. You and I were not made for this place. You have to know that. If you think we were made for this place, then this is an earth-shattering concept that I'm presenting to you. That Jesus would take us and things would happen on this earth. We're like, oh, no. But listen, the Bible's got so much to say about this planet and you and I as we fit into that. But let's, uh, let's move along with the passage today and uh, let's see what Jesus says about people get ready because a train is coming. Matthew 24, verse 42. We have it for the screen if you want to follow along. And um, yes, here we go. Verse 42, it says this. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have uh, let the house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So Jesus is reminding us right from the gate to, to be ready. And the illustration that he's using is, is a time when you or I could be caught suddenly off guard, taken by surprise. Maybe something like that has happened to you in your life where you were taken off guard or taken by surprise, caught off guard. It, it, the Bible is using this theme. It's just like a thief in the night. Like, well, who knew tonight would be the night? I mean, of all nights, why tonight? And, and, and it had no idea. And it's going to be the same uh, that believers won't know which day or hour and uh, non-believers won't know either. And all of a sudden, like a thief in the night, he's saying to, to be ready. And maybe you've had this experience. I know one night uh, I came home uh, and I brought my car home and I parked out front and I was tired and I went in and I went to bed. And I, I remember going, did I lock my car? 
I think I did, but I was too tired to go back outside to check. So I went to bed, and I woke up in the morning, much to my surprise. My car had gotten broken into, and of course, they stole the stereo, they stole my leather jacket, and they stole this guitar that I traveled all over the world. I've had this guitar everywhere, and this guitar got stolen, and I'm like, ah! And if I had any idea, I wouldn't have been caught off guard. If I had any idea, I would have made sure it was locked or a light was on. But I didn't do any of those things, and I was taken by surprise, like a thief in the night. I had no idea. And then we always say woulda, coulda, shoulda, but this is the way Jesus says it's going to happen, that one night, one night it's going to happen. And, um, you know, maybe you've been caught off guard, and maybe you've had something in your life disrupted that you thought, I had no idea that was coming, but this is going to happen in the same way. Had we known, we would have been better prepared. But sometimes we didn't know, so we weren't prepared. And that's why Jesus is stressing in this passage, be ready, be ready, be ready. This is what he's saying through this whole passage. He says, I will return suddenly, expect me, expect me. That's the key word here. Be ready and expect me. Because there's many believers who fall back asleep on this topic. Yeah, I believe, but, but I'm not like getting ready for any kind of return. And I'm, I'm not really expecting proactively. I'm just going about my business with a belief system. And Jesus is saying, no, believe this and expect me. Be ready and expect me. Uh, and the reason he's coming back is to rescue those who are his. Like I said, on earth, the things on this planet are going to take a monumental shift. You will want to be rescued, but it's not just being rescued from, it's being rescued to. It's being rescued from the fallout that's going to happen here, but it's rescued to an eternity that is absolutely uh, glorious, a place that he wipes away every tear from our eye. It's going to be epic. It's going to be monumental. Um, The Bible says this about us where our Uh, It tells us where our true citizenship is, our true citizenship lies. And I say this because even as believers, we can feel like this earth is our home. And if we feel that way, we don't ever want to leave it. We want to do everything we can to preserve our life here on the planet. But the Bible says a whole different thing, a whole different narrative about you and I as we have faith in God. The narrative in Scripture, throughout Scripture, is that we're you're really, we're just all strangers and aliens here. Do you realize that? How many of you know that? Because you need to know that. We are all strangers and aliens here. We are all just passing through. Our citizenship, our real citizenship, is in heaven. The Bible says that, that we're in this world, but not of this world. So when you look at it that way, then you kind of understand the context of, wow, this life really is a test and a trial and a temporary assignment. This isn't what I was made for. I was made for that. This one is temporary. That one is eternal. Uh, Completely different, and we kind of get a a better understanding of what we're made for. So here's a couple of key points. I want to give you some points if you guys want to write these down. This might help us really grasp the heart of what Jesus is saying um, in this passage. And the first one is this. Um, This world is passing. The next one is eternal. And we were made for that one. We were made for that one. This one's a test, a trial, and a temporary assignment. We weren't made to live forever here. We were made to live forever there. And as long as we know that, when we understand this concept, we understand the words of Jesus, we live with expectation. When we forget that, we don't even want to talk about the future because we're trying to cling on to everything we have on this, on this planet. Now listen, make the most of your opportunities on this planet. There are plenty of blessings around us and opportunities on this planet. 
and yet we need to know um, that our numbers are, our days are in fact numbered here. The, the Lord knows the number of our days, and that's because it's just a test, a trial, and a temporary assignment. It's just like the teacher goes, okay, er, test is over, hand in your paper. Sometimes you're done, and sometimes you're not done, but you got to hand in your paper, and God has this master clock, and only he knows the math on this, but this world is passing, the next one is eternal. We are just treasures. We have these treasures in jars of clay, these earthen vessels. We are not spiritual, we are not uh, physical beings having a temporary spiritual experience down here on earth. We are spiritual beings having a temporary physical experience down here on earth, right? And that's the point. So we are passing through, our citizenship is in heaven, and we're just aliens passing through and trying to bring everyone we can to higher ground, amen? Higher ground. In fact, I think it was Stevie Wanna Keep on trying until I reach the higher ground. You guys know that one? You got to hear that one. If you don't know that one, you're missing out on some nostalgia right there. Higher ground. There is a higher ground. And we're going to the higher ground. There's a higher ground. And we, we're not going alone. And we're not going quietly. We're bringing as many with us as we can. Amen? Yeah. Higher ground. Higher ground. People get ready. A train is coming. So he will come when people uh, don't expect him most. Here's the next couple of points. If Jesus truly is our, the Lord of our lives, if he's truly the Lord of our lives, we will believe and be expecting. Be expecting. I want to I tie that with believing because there's many people who believe but have no expectation, really, of Jesus' return. And if they did, they don't talk about it. They don't live that way. Um, and they're just living, yeah, I believe, and I'm going about my business. Jesus is saying, no, be ready. If you believe me, expect me. If you believe me, expect me. And a lot of people have checked the expectation at the door. They're not really expecting anything. I will tell you one thing. Every revival generation was marked by expectation. Every revival generation, expectation was right front and center. It wasn't some distant off idea. And you can look that up yourself and do some research on it. But uh, they had such a love for Jesus, such a belief for his word. There was an expectation um, of his return as well. Uh, but, But we're living in times we saw when we looked at some of these signs and symbols, they could not have been filled in prior generations. There's no way some of these signs and symbols could have been filled, but now we're living in times where exponentially there's a fulfillment quicker and quicker, and we're not missing a whole lot of symbols and signs prior to the return of Jesus. We don't have a whole ton of them to go uh, if you look at the prophetic clock or calendar marked with these key events. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, The next one is this, guys. Um, Third point, if Jesus is really not the Lord of our lives, we won't believe or be expecting him if he's really not the Lord. Now, this is important because lordship with the return of Jesus matters a lot. Not believing that Jesus just came or that he was a miracle worker or healer or even that he died for sins. The the demons believe that and shudder. That he's the Lord of our lives. And if we believe he's the Lord, we will believe in his words and we will uh, be expecting him. But if he's not really the Lord of our lives, I want to stress this, then we're really not going to even believe this expectation and return part. Lordship matters monumentally. You guys know the, you guys know the passage on that final day. Um, many will say, Jesus said, this, this passage always freaks me out. Probably freaks you out if I can get some honesty. On that final day, he says, many will say, Lord, Lord. And he said, I never knew you. You guys heard this before? Doesn't that kind of freak you out a little bit? The, the, the key word is Lord, Lord. Not the name Lord, Lord. But to believe in your heart and confess with your lips that Jesus is what? Lord, really Lord? I mean, Lord? That's a whole different story. 
And on that finally day, final day, some are going to go, oh, Lord, Lord, you know, people get ready. A train is coming. Here it is. Oh, Lord, Lord. He's going to go, you know, I'm sorry. I never knew you. And that doesn't mean he didn't know who you were or who I was. It doesn't mean he didn't know when we were born or what we were like. It doesn't mean that. He's like, I never knew you. We, we never locked. We never locked on this lordship level. This lord is a big word, guys. Lordship is everything. You know, he's either the lord of all or he's not. And, and, and the thing that we've done in America, I think, is, um, is everyone say this special prayer and everything is perfect. And it's like, well, I don't know if we really turned and made him the lord of our life, but I would say if we turned and made him the lord of our life, he's got us covered. But if we just said a prayer and we didn't really turn, follow, and make him the Lord, which means king and master, if we didn't actually do that, then honestly, guys, I think those are the ones who are going to get challenged with that, with that question. Lordship is lordship. Lord is key. It's a, it's a critical term. It's the king. It's the master. It's the, the ruler of our universe. It's we got off the throne and put him on, really, and we live in a zone where he is the king and we are not. We don't kick him back off and say, I said that once, but I'm still driving the ship and, and want you to do what I want you to do, God. We still say, God, I'm taking my marching orders from you because you're the, you're the lover of my soul. You're the Lord of my life. And we stay in this zone of, of lordship. So uh, that's really, really important. Uh, you know, years ago, um, on our way back from Israel, uh, we stopped in France and uh, we went to Paris. I was with a group of about 15 actors and actresses and musicians who went on this trip to Israel. It was really cool. On the way back, we stopped in Paris. And um, to get back to our hotel, which was like past the airport, we left Paris and they said, well, the train doesn't go all the way at this hour because it's getting late. Um, You have to stop at this one train station and get off and wait about an hour. And there will be another train called this one. And that one will get you to where you need to go. And so I remember we got off this train and it was, uh, the sun was going down, it was getting dark. We get off this train and much to my surprise, I didn't know they had like ghettos outside of Paris. I don't know Paris very well, but I found out they did. There was buildings with a bunch of broken windows and there was trash barrels that were lit on fire, you know, like a movie scene. And uh, we're up on this train platform and I'm like, wow, this is a kind of a wild place, you know what I mean? And it's getting darker. And then I noticed we're waiting for a train. I notice uh, train's not coming and it's getting darker and then a couple of people over here are talking to each other. They're talking to them. They're talking to them. And, and, and it looked to me, maybe it's the New Yorker in me. I just, uh, but, but there's something brewing right now. Um, I tried to find out the name of that train station. I Googled it, but they said it's a number one uh, thing for visitors to watch out is the thefts that happen on these, plane tra- uh, uh, these train platforms uh, with organized crime, just you know, uh, robbing and... Uh, robbing visitors. But all I have to say is, I realized something's going on. So I just told the guys in our group, there was, you know, like four guys and about maybe eight girls. I said, hey guys, look at this and look, and they they looked and like, oh my goodness, something's about to happen. So the gals kind of got in the middle and we just kind of stood around the outside, just waiting and watching. And I think that completely wrecked their whole plan or element of surprise. And nothing happened that night. We prayed and they went away and our train finally came, but we're like, people, get ready. A train is coming. This is not a neighborhood with broken windows and trash cans on fire, and you're in a foreign land, and, and, and people are rolling in on you. Uh, it was an interesting deal, but um, that was a, a good time to sing that song. But here's, here's our last point, and the last point will uh, be illustrated in our final passage today, um, and it's this. Our fourth point is this. Um, if Jesus is our Lord and Master 
And if we are his servants, if we are his servants, then we prove it by our faithfulness. If he is our Lord and we are his servants, I got to put those together because some people are going, I got a Lord, but I'm not a servant. Um, you can only have a Lord if you are a servant and you can only be a servant if you have a Lord. Does that make sense? Uh, we can't leave it out like he's the Lord, but I'm not serving anybody. No, um, you got to choose this day who you will serve. Isn't that what we're told in Scripture? Choose this day who you will serve. That means he's Lord and we're not, and we're the servants and he's, he's the master. Um, and if Jesus is the Lord and master, uh, and if we are his servants as Scripture lays it out and disciples clearly were, um, then we prove it by our faithfulness. And this is a key component. In other words, there's got to be an evidence in your life and in mine. Everyone say evidence. evidence. There's got to be an evidence. If you want to read more about evidence, read uh, the book of James, and he'll say, show me your faith, I'll show you my works, because faith without works is dead. It's not really faith at all. It's faith in, in explanation, it's faith in reason, but it's not really faith, because real faith has a display. We can never work our way to heaven, we can never earn our way to heaven, but if we really are saved by grace freely, then there is clearly uh, evidences and displays uh, of our faithfulness in our life. And so um, the last point is exactly that, that if he is our Lord and master, if we are his servants, we prove it by our faithfulness. And let's see what Jesus says here in verse 45 to build on that. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? whom the master has put in charge of his servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour where he is not aware of and he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, a couple of things going on right here. Jesus is describing two different eternities, two different eternities. One, in the presence of God, in God's presence. And the other one away from God's presence. The one in God's presence, we see from Scripture that it's a place where he wipes away every tear from our eye. What we know in part, we will know fully. It's a place where there's a massive feast, celebration. It's a place where we're getting rewards galore for all the faithfulness in our life. That's not my idea, that's God's idea. He wants to reward you for faithfulness. And it's a place where we're entrusted with greater things, greater things, which means in the eternal realm, it's not like you just sit on a cloud playing a harp. There's a whole other dimension that God couldn't even explain to us because we couldn't get our head around it, but we're going to get entrusted with greater things in eternity. And I can't explain what that looks like, but it's going to be pretty monumental, pretty epic if it's God's idea to make you faithful of way greater things. Everyone say greater things. Greater things than anything you know down here. He will trust you with greater. That's the eternity in God's presence. The other eternity is away from God's presence where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's for those who chose to die in their sin. See, there's some who say, I don't want to die in my sin and you're the only one who can take it away, Jesus. So I want you to take mine away. I want to turn and make you the Lord of my life. Free gift. And that's that destination. Others say, no, you're not taking away my sin. I don't, I don't need that. I'm fine on my own. And they walk away with their own backpack or their dump truck load full of sin. 
and they say, I'm fine, and I don't need you. And what happens is we either die in our sin or without our sin. It's not that anyone's better than anybody. No one's better than somebody. It's just some people choose, I don't want to die in my sin, and others are like, fine, I'll die in my sin and try it on my own consequences. And, and so the Bible lays these two pathways of those who die in their sin and those who say, I don't want to die in my sin. I want the Lord to take them away. And um, this is important, but Jesus is saying to remind us to be ready because he's put us in charge of things, things, stewardship. He's put you in charge of things and he's also put you in charge of people. He's talking about a faithful steward in the passage who's in charge of people. You too are in charge of people. You have God-given influence in your life, God-given influence. And you can lead from anywhere God has placed you. You can be a janitor in a workplace and lead from there. You can be a president, you could be a, a, a teacher, you can be a tutor, you can be a coach, you can be a neighbor, you can be a sibling, you can be a, a father, husband, wife, you can be in any of these roles and you can lead from where you are at with your God-given influence. This is talking about the faithful and wise servant who is placed with an influence, a, a sphere of influence around people. And he is saying you would be very wise with your sphere of influence to feed at the proper time. The context of this feeding has to do with eternal things and things to come in the return of Jesus. That's the context. So you and I, if we're going to help people around us get to higher ground, whatever your role is in life, uh, you and I need to help uh, disperse this, this, the heart of God that, listen, you were made for something way greater than this, and there is a higher ground, and God's calling you to higher ground. I'm going to higher ground. I pray you want to go to higher ground. Do you want to go? And some will be, yes, I want to go. Awesome. This is feeding in the proper time in the context to the return of Jesus and helping others level up and come along for the journey of a lifetime. Not just heaven when we get there, but life in the spirit here and now on earth until we get to eternity. And so he's saying the wise servant does these things and shares these things and lets people know wise servants don't leave this out of their narrative. We don't leave the return of Christ out of our narrative, amen? Listen, guys, we don't leave the return of Christ out of our narrative. It's part of our narrative. It's part of the gospel. It's part of the good news. And so uh, this is what he's saying right here. So he said, because of all this, uh, you need to be uh, aware. You need to be ready. Uh, But some others, maybe even believers, are saying, don't worry. The Lord, he's been, how long are we waiting for him to come back? Thessalonians had a little struggle with this. I thought he was coming next week or next month. And Paul said, I didn't say that. I never said he's coming next month. I didn't say... You know, they're like, but what about what? He's like, whoa, 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 guys, you're misinterpreting. I didn't say this is when he's coming. The, what, here's how we will know. And he explained to them. But the point is, there are some that say, well, look, how long have we been waiting? How long is it going to take? Um, you know, some have suggested, I remember, and I've heard, no one knows the day or the hour, but I remember hearing 2,000 years from Korea, at least in scripture, uh, from, from the Genesis account, uh, from creation to Abraham, and from Abraham, 2,000 years to Jesus, and 2,000 years from Jesus to us now. And then there's a seventh-day rest, amen? So you get two and four and six, and then a se- you know, all I'm saying is it seems to be, uh, when you look at some chronology, and there's a lot of different ways to look at eternity. I don't want to get into times and figure or numerology or any of that kind of stuff. I'm just saying um, God knows, and I'm seeing a fulfillment before us in the times of Noah, uh, where you know we're living in days where we call good evil and evil good, that hasn't happened in Western civilization in 2,000 years. We didn't live that way. We called evil evil and good good. 
And if you're going to do evil, you do it at night when no one's looking. And if you got caught, you felt guilty and ashamed. But not anymore. We call good evil and evil good, and we're proud, and we parade it, and we put it everywhere, and we're infusing kids with ideas that are like, that's just fundamentally wrong. It's fundamentally wrong. We know that. Most people with a pulse know that's fundamentally wrong, and yet we're running with things. So we're living in a time of fulfillment, I believe, in, in so many ways. And here's a key one, and this would be great if the worship team comes up. I want to I close with this thought. He's saying to be aware and to listen. He says, that the, don't be checked out right now. Don't be saying, oh, the Lord's not going to come back. Don't, don't get checked out and sedated. Don't be checked out and sedated. Um, because one guy in the story, the bad servant, is like, ah, I got time. I'll get my life right with God later. Uh, you know, he's probably not coming back anyway. And even if he did, and they just check out and start to get sedated. Jesus is saying, be aware, believe me, and expect me, but don't get sedated. He says that kind of person, the kind of person that's the bad servant here, begins to eat and drink with the drunkards. Eat and drink with the drunkards. Now, all of us should be reaching people who are lost, including drunkards and everybody, right? That Jesus did too. But to stay in a world with them and to indulge in their world is not what Jesus ever did. He never hung out with the drunkards and did shots on a Friday night. You notice that? Never read it in the book. But he would not be afraid of hanging around anyone and saying, I don't judge you, but turn and follow me. But this bad servant just says, ah, it's never going to happen. And they live their life hanging out with um, drunkards. Basically, uh, we're living in times right now, guys, where we have legalized every kind of buzz you can imagine. You realize that? We have every kind of buzz you can imagine legalized. That's not the spirit of God behind wanting everyone sedated. There's another one who has come to confuse and to take away your clarity, be sober and alert, the Bible says, because the enemy goes around like a roaring lion, right? Be sober and alert. The Bible says if you and I aren't sober and alert, we're not even aware of the enemy's scheme. Sober and alert. Everyone say sober and alert. That's God saying, be so, otherwise you're not going to even see stuff coming. Be sober and alert. On the same token, uh, there are so many legal buzzes today for people to check out, to get sedated, to, to find ways to medicate, whether it's drinking or smoke, whatever it is, and there's, there's a ton of them, but the bottom line is we're living in times right now where if you're, if you're checked out and sedated, you're not going to clock any of this spiritual stuff. Does that make sense? You're not going to clock it. You're not going to see it. You're not going to recognize it. Um, the Bible says more than ever we need to be filled with the Spirit and not be drunk with wine. If we are filled with the Spirit, we will see, we will discern. We're like, yeah, no, I see that from a mile away. Yep, I'm avoiding that. That's truth, that's not. This is what God's calling. But if we're sedated, then we're like the guy in the story where we just go, ah, and we keep taking a back seat, and we keep taking a back seat, and pretty soon we're drinking with the drunkards because we're in the same boat they are. Does that make sense? This is not a judgment on people with a struggle. It's a lifestyle of either being walking with God in spiritual clarity or checking out and getting sedated. And Jesus is saying the guy in the story decided to check out and get sedated. And he lived his life in this place of sedation. And guess what? Someone in sedation cannot see spiritually. Listen, you can't get your buzz on and be filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time. Do you know that? I don't think everybody believes this, but you cannot be getting your buzz on and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an absolute contradiction. Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk with wine, which is 
dissipation, one translation says. It's pollution. Don't get drunk with wine, which is dissipation. Don't, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The Bible is telling us you can be filled with things that sedate or be filled with the Spirit, but you can't be both. Can't be both. It'd be nice if you could. A lot of us goes, well, I'd like to be able to do that and that at the same time. <laughs> a for effort. It doesn't happen that way. We can't be, we got to be filled with one another. Listen, we'll either be under the influence of the world and sedated, or we will be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. God wants you under the influence. <laughs> God wants you under the influence, but he wants you under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And if you stay under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you will see things from far away. You will discern things a mile away. Your heart will say, go left, go right. When the Spirit talks, you will hear the voice behind you saying, this is the way to go, walk in it. You will hear the voice of truth. But if we're sedated, we're not going to hear. We're not going to see. We're going to be meandering or wandering in, in, in levels of darkness. It's more integral right now, guys, that you and I stay under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean for you and I to really live in this zone where we're under the influence of the Holy Spirit in our life? Because that's the epic place to live. That's the Spirit-filled life. That's the, uh, the Bible says, stay in step with the Holy Spirit. This is the zone we were designed to live in and under the Lordship of Jesus. And, and we're right where we need to be, when we need to be, because we're staying in step with the Spirit. Or... We choose to do our own thing. Jesus isn't coming back. I got plenty of time and we get sedated by the world. So my prayer is that we don't do that. I want to close in prayer right now. Pray for spiritual clarity uh, in our lives that we would see with the clarity uh, and recognize the times as the Lord would want to show us. Uh, Mighty God, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of it. Uh, Lord, I just pray for all of us today, God, that you would give us eyes to see. Lord, you would open the eyes of our heart that we might see clearly, God, that we might recognize the times, Lord, that we might make the most of our opportunities, God, that uh, as we know, Lord, we're not living under a panic or a stress, but the bottom line is you've given us wisdom and clarity to show us and that we might have peace and not have anxiety, that the future is going to look different and things are going to ramp up. And, And Lord, things are moving faster and faster all the time. Uh, The Bible says one clear sign of the end times is that travel will happen very rapidly, which is all of a sudden happening now, and that knowledge will increase very quickly, which is happening now with the internet. No other generation could have said that claim. These are just some of the clear signs that we go, God, we're getting so much closer. I pray now, Lord, because it's, now is the time to see with clarity. Now is the time to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now is the time to be in your word so we will know, Lord, the things to come and where we're at and what's our place, God. So I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that we would not be drunk, that we wouldn't be sedated by anything, whatever's getting us checked out, anything that's numbing us down. God, you would take it away and be under our feet, that we'd have a radical, bold sobriety in the Holy Spirit and that we'd be filled with the Spirit, which is an overwhelming joy, which is beyond any buzz that the world could ever give us but we'd be filled with the Spirit and filled with the joy and filled with clarity and filled with certainty and filled with faith and filled with conviction and filled with purpose, God. So do these things in our life, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Amen, guys. Hey, our prayer team is going to come up here. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. 
to hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.